0: Welcome, Lent to a special edition of the GOAT District. Unless you've been under a rock, you know NFTs are on fire right now. Tonight, we bring DFS, best ball, fantasy football, and we spice it up with a bit of NFT talk with one of the biggest winners. Guys, we made you guys a promise on this channel that we would keep bringing you the biggest guests, the biggest winners, the best analysts. This man is both. I'm talking six-digit wins, playing best ball, DFS as well, and now just creating a world that I think you'll all want to be part of. So, as we tell you in the district, go grab a pen and paper, this time of day, maybe a coffee, put on your dancing shoes, because we about to dance.
1: Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G O A T district, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man, y'all know what to do with, sir. And i always be trading. And i always be trading. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish, fish,
0: fish, fish. Welcome back, Fantasyland. Welcome back, Theo. Uh, hopefully, if you're watching, you didn't miss last night's like huge show with Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Sports. Uh, the stories, the goodness, the insight was just dripping all over that show. So hopefully you either have seen it or you go back and check it out. Guys, smash the subscribe, the like button. We bring you another huge show right now. Theo and I, you know, move mountains to bring you guys the best guests. And today is no exception. Uh, We made an exception with our schedule so that we can have this man on for you. And we're here to, to maybe help you do what this man did. And that's take down these big tournaments that you're hearing about. Well, this man's done it more than once. So, Theo, I know you're pumped to have Mr. Justin Herzog today.
2: Justin, welcome yep. to the district, brother. Wow. Thank you for having me. It is, uh, it's fantastic to be here. Been a huge fan. Been a competitor against you guys in some of our, you know, dynasty-style leagues. But uh, oh, I'm just so, so excited, so pumped for the football season to be back here. We've been having to deal with all these other sports, just kind of passing the time, trying to get our fake sweat on but we know football is what it's really all about.
3: Yeah, no, we're we're excited to have you on. Um, yeah, you're a really fun guy to have in our dynasty league. And it's not bad when you uh, need a little underdog or DFS advice to be able to like hit Justin in the DMs and be like, Hey, Justin, you know, what do you think about this guy this week? So it's, uh, it's awesome to have you on. Um, and yeah, I I can't, I cannot wait. Um, you know, we all have some big drafts coming up this weekend and, and next week, like everybody listening. And, um, It's also time to kind of put on our DFS hats a little bit because week one is right around the corner.
0: Yeah, I mean, Justin, we uh, just coming into this show, there's so many things to cover. Uh, We have limited time, so we're going to try to kind of dance through this thing uh, in in a timely manner in a a way that we can hit everything, but enough to give the insight that our listeners want to hear. But we have to start off, man, a couple stories. Let the people know a bit of your journey, you know, uh, from when you started, whether it was fantasy I know you're not only are you accomplished as, you know, as a player, but you're a creator, you're a co-founder of uh, OTM. Talk to us about that. Um, and then we can, you know, kind of slowly get into your your newest project, which I think is going to blow up. And I
2: think our audience will agree. Yeah, no, it's been a fantastic journey. Um, so a little about me, um, my uh, my corporate life, the professional grind, I've always been in kind of the analytics side. I worked in financial services. I got into blockchain technology around seven years ago. Uh, On the more kind of corporate side. And then uh, through college, I worked for a sports agency. I worked for the Tampa Bay Lightning doing an internship. So I always kind of had that sports fandom side. And uh, it wasn't until DFS that I was able to really kind of combine that analytics with the the sports stuff for DFS. And so I've been doing that semi-pro for a little bit, joined Establish the Run in the past year to really help out with some of that best ball content. And then uh, once this kind of NFT craze just started going crazy, uh, my co-founder and I, TJ Lasig, who also does some content for our Roto-Grinder side, does a DFS background as well. Uh, we were like, hey, we love this stuff. Let's just start talking about it. So we built a pod. We started a pod. We realized we need some tools. We need some analytics. So we built a site. Then we're like, hey, there needs to be a community around this so people can kind of talk because... DFS, we're all competing against each other in that NFT space. So much about it is that shared experience, and that learning. So we built a community. And uh, it's just kind of continued to snowball into some, we're following where the people want to go, where the people have shown their passions. And, you know, hey, those passions align with what we're kind of, what we feel and what we're building. And uh, yeah, we'll get into it in a bit. But uh, the owner's club, we are pumped for what we're going to be bringing you guys.
0: Yeah. And, and, and there, there you have it on the screen. And sorry, Theo, not to cut you off. We, we will get into it. Uh I'm sure you know a lot of, of our audience uh did follow you through the you know on the moment journey which you know you talked about top shot so this is kind of you know sp- a spin off of that but with the fantasy football flavor and everything you've learned from that experience in a way that you've improved it here uh you know making it really about the user experience from what you've told me so far
2: yeah Without a doubt. I mean, at the most basic core, it's an NFT based fantasy football club. It includes a blend of DFS included blends of season long sports. And the NFTs are just kind of the technology that makes it happen at the most, you know, very simply beginning of season. So next Tuesday, you buy a pack, a pack gives you five cards. Each card is a team and a position combo. So as you see right there, there's Jacksonville and I can't see it small, but maybe that's running backs. And, uh, you get your team and you can, you know, use that pack, use those cards to enter free contests for real money, up to a million dollars in prizes across the season. And the beauty is, is, hey, because these are NFTs, the true ownership aspect, you can also use a secondary market. If you know you're really bullish on maybe those Miami wide receivers and you think they're going to have a great season, go ahead. Buy a bunch when they're cheap at the beginning of the season. Use the secondary market and you actually get that game within the game. So not only are those weekly contests that you can win money but hey you can also kind of get a speculative
3: collectible aspect to it. No, it's an awesome awesome idea and the, and the site looks really sharp as well. Um, and I like the idea of being able to sell it um, on the secondary market with the NFTs so it's it's really um it's really an awesome idea cuz it kind of combines the the fantasy football aspect with the NFTs and and JD and I were just talking about it pre-game. Uh, I think that could really really take off.
0: Yeah, I'm just adding it uh, for those. Well, for those listening and you haven't checked us out on YouTube, make sure you do that. Subscribe, like it uh, to support the show. But I'm going to drop for those watching uh, just at the bottom here the website you can go to uh, for the owner's box. Correct me if I'm wrong there with the. I just did a quick copy paste there, Justin. So if you want me to, to edit that, just let me know. Um, but let's go back to, uh, you know, DFS, best ball. You've won some big ones, and we've had some big winners on the show. The six-digit winners are rare, man, and and you've done it uh, with best ball. Talk to us. Uh, I know I know Theo was had a few stories that he wanted to ask <laughs> you about, and maybe, Theo, you have one in mind that you, you pr- prefer to hear about. Uh, but,
2: you know, either either way, man, I think the listeners would love it. Yeah, and last year was a fantastic year. Obviously, I uh, topped it off with that best ball championship. I think a couple weeks before that, I had uh, two different seasons of six-digit wins as well from a DFS side. Um, and it was just one of those years where obviously you just got to be on the right side of variance, but you put in the right, you know, years of years of the preparation, getting it, you know, those analytics and everything that we're doing to kind of prep. And uh, it was it was just great to see it all come together. Um, yeah.
3: No, that that was I mean, it was it was super impressive. Um, you shipped it last year. H- how are you feeling about your approach to this season? Um, have drafts gotten harder or have they gotten a, maybe a little easier um do you think that the the market's kind of corrected itself it seems like you know that at least the market's corrected itself in my experience on on wide receiver drafting um more bullish for for the wideouts. outs um, how, how are you seeing the market this year yeah
2: i think in general um you're definitely seeing a lot sharper drafts and uh i would say hey this is still such an early game i mean we're really only in maybe like year two of this um or maybe year three if you include a little early on but uh we're still we're still learning about what those kind of best things are. So the data that we have from last year, the stuff we've been doing on Establish the Run to show because Underdog's fantastic site and made all that data available to us. Uh, we were able to kind of see what trends were happening. And uh, the thing is, it's still only one season of data, even though it's 100,000 teams, it's still one season. So the sample size is still kind of small. But what we can do is take our you know our intuition, the things that we feel, hey, I think structurally this makes sense and see, does the data back it up? And next year, you know we'll get a whole nother years of data so i think for this year we've definitely seen people getting sharper around roster constructions a lot more going with the kind of a you know playing for that upside the hyper fragile builds the four running backs um but then also fully admit like there's still a lot of people that are just learning about this and are just doing it for the fun you know you uh, still i always called uh, before underdog they had draft and i'd call it the toilet app and i say that with the most endearment of love but <laughs> so like good. you draft when you're on the toilet like it's a very casual very easy you're just hanging out, look on your phone. You maybe didn't do rankings. You're not paying attention. And uh, there's still a lot of edge from that component. But without a doubt, you're seeing more and more people digest the content, put some time into it. Because I think at the end of the day, people love it. It's so fun. Drafting the best part. And uh, not having to manage the league and just seeing if you can get that upside with a million dollars in prizes this year, uh, it's going well.
3: Is, is your concentration now on the Best Ball Mania with the $25 contest? Or are you also looking to, to do entries in the $250 and, and the 5
2: Yeah, so I maxed out the Best Ball Mania, uh, I'd say, a few weeks ago, just because I was kind of planning out my August and thinking, okay, how am I going to allocate my time from various sites? Um, I do believe that underdog uh, is probably one of the best platforms out there, but they also have some of the sharpest competition. And so I didn't think that the competition was going to get substantially easier as the months go on compared to someone like DraftKings. So I've been spending most of the past couple of weeks trying to max out that uh, main event on DraftKings because I thought, hey, you get more of the kind of uh, uh, common, the people who aren't as familiar and a little more easier drafts. And so that's where my focus has been and then throw in a couple of the more higher stakes ones. But uh, I'm more of a fast drafter. Um, I'll fully admit I used to do slow drafts like a year or two back and it honestly impacted my sleep schedule. I would go to bed and like be scared. Like I'm going to get auto drafted or something. And like (laughs) mentally, I just couldn't get a good night's sleep. And, uh, so I had to prioritize the health aspect and now I'll just do fast drafts. Um, they just feel a little slower for those higher stakes ones.
3: Yeah. I think anybody, anybody grinding right now in fantasy, uh, has, has had the, uh, nighttime thinking, thinking you're in a timeout fears and the early wake up so i i feel you on that
0: one oh yeah there's there's certain guys on my in my portfolio uh that are only there because of auto auto picks you know that happened while i was uh sleeping we, we we like to talk about stacks on the show uh you know whether we're talking best ball or you know even redraft is that something you focus on uh whether it's stacks correlation stacks and and if you do what are some of your favorites for this year
2: yeah, without a doubt. Stacking, and I don't think stacking was probably the big thing in 2020 where people started realizing and, you know, taking some of our DFS skills and putting it into best ball. Because at the end of the day, I think stacks are a little different, but they're still very important. Uh, I think the main difference is in a DFS lineup, I'm probably not going to stack Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry just because in a one game situation, you know, hey, I want to get that Tannehill rushing touchdown. and That's taken away from Henry or I want it to be a game script where Tannehill has to really throw for, you know, 400. Um, however, across the season, um, I love stacking them because I'm more making a bet on the success of that team being a highly efficient, productive offense. So across the season, I want those points. Yeah. Maybe in game 17, when we get to that one week sample of the tournament, like, yeah, they don't really correlate the best, uh, compared to some of the other options, but across the season, my chance of actually advancing into the playoffs. And then from there I'm bullish on as for my favorite stacks this year, um, a lot of it comes down to like where you are in the draft and like trying to figure out. Uh, so I think the best one, uh, the one that I'm most bullish on that I've been getting a lot on is that Lamar, uh, Lamar, Mark Andrews, um, stack. And, uh, I think part of the reason is I'm, I'm definitely above market on and Mark Andrews, uh, especially as we start seeing more and more people go down. Marquise Brown hasn't practiced in like three weeks or so. Um, you then have the JK Dobbins, obviously we're missing. So I think that may give uh, Lamar some more rushing and TD equity, um, then we have what Rashad Bateman is going to be out for a while. Like, I just think it sets up so well for that stack combo. Um, and, uh, we, have seen it two years ago, people were a little down after last year, but I think he still has that potential to, you know, to finish up on that top three tight end area.
0: Love, love that yep. call. We had, uh, Scott last night talking about, you know, uh, limited, uh, target trees and or narrow target trees. And, you know, Andrew is, is especially with the receivers going down as a prime example, uh, I was a little higher on Lamar coming into this offseason than, than most. Still think that he can uh, obviously take you to win, but love that stack. Definitely love that stack, especially in the tight end premium world. Um, yeah. Before I pass it back to Theo, sorry Theo, just is there a mistake? Uh, we see we're just too anxious, man. We're too anxious to to get this. No, no get I, I, was, I
3: was I was going to also just echo echo what you guys were saying with Andrews, and it's um in regards to to redraft listeners right now. You'll see in the in the main events in FPC um andrews started to correct to the early fourth there was a while in those football guys drafts where you were getting him in the fifth so yeah i think there's a there's a real parallel between the, the sharp drafters and the underdog and the sharp drafters and the high stakes streets where you're seeing some of the same risers right now um so I, I love the andrews call i think that's a really good one um and and just a follow up with um your with the sacks um are you building with full team stacks or skinny stacks um, or are you trying to combine both in your builds?
2: Yeah, I would say I'm not specifically targeting one or the other. It's more of just how can I build this out? I think one better. I'm more than happy to have two, three, you know, two, three players in addition to the quarterback on that team. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that because as I said, I'm going for that blowout season where this team is just fantastic on offense. Um, the main thing is, I just want to make sure that I'm not crazily reaching for stacks. Uh, Michael Leone, my colleague, had established the run did of analysis that showed that hey, if your combined reach for your stack is two rounds or more, you may as well just not have stack from a win from a win rate perspective. Uh, so, in that mindset, um, I don't want to be crazy reaching. I want to see hey, where can they fall? Um, and then the second aspect is across your larger portfolio, we're really trying to get those home run teams. And if you're always taking a quarterback or one of the wide receivers above his ADP, you're really just missing out on that potential value where, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like, let's say, I think a good example is you can get Jamar Chase and T. Higgins pretty easily in that kind of with, you know, where they're falling. And so you, now you see Joe Burroughs coming around, maybe it's around pick like a hundred. You see his ADP is like 110. A lot of people are like, oh my God, I need to get Joe Burrow because my team is dust if I don't. But in reality, there's two things coming to play here. One It's more likely Joe Burrow is actually going to fall because it's less likely his stack partner is going to reach on him. Yeah, someone has Tyler Boyd, but you've got the two top wide receivers. So there's a better chance you might have him fall past his ADP and get that value. And the second is if you end up missing him, your draft's not over. Burrow and um, Burrow and Higgins can, uh, Jamar Chase and, and T. Higgins can still have great years, especially in a PPR format. And quarterback is the most replaceable stat from these kind of best ball leagues, so I can still get that production at maybe you know, 10, uh, you know, nine cents of the dollar, ten cents of the dollar, whatever it is. Uh, and even though you don't have the burrow, it can still be a great overall draft.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask just basically exactly that because you talked about some people are newer. You know, is, is there a mistake that you see? And may, maybe you already touched on stacking is reaching, but is there a mistake that maybe another mistake that you see? Uh, newer players or maybe not as successful players uh, do continuously in these drafts that you're in?
2: Um, yeah, I actually put out an article at the beginning of the season around the five best ball drafts mistakes that I'm seeing. Uh, so I highly recommend checking that out. And I think it's free on the Establish the Run site. Uh, but another one of those that I'd throw out is thinking about draft with you're thinking about as draft capital. Um, so this is kind of a basic one, but you still see a lot of people messing it up where if you early on, you draft one of those elite quarterbacks, one of those elite tight ends, hey, I've got no problem there. I've got a ton of the elite tight ends too. Uh, but the thing is, because you're already investing a second, third round, whatever the capital is, you're only going to be successful in this, you know, in, this, in this contest, in this tournament, if that player, that tight end, really has a tight end one, tight end two, like blowout season. So draft as if what you're betting and you know, what you're betting early on actually happens because If you draft, let's say, Travis Kelsey and he gets hurt, he misses half the season, your team's not going to win anyways. You just lost your first round pick. So don't try to play as if like that happens. Instead, think, okay, Travis Kelsey actually had that tight end one season. Awesome. What does the rest of my lineup look like? Well, if he has a tight end one season, I probably don't need to invest high in another tight end. I'll probably throw in someone near the end maybe I'm now going to get you know value on like a Hunter Henry in the 16th, or maybe I'll even go later and grab Donald Parham, someone who I think has upside, but isn't having, you know, there's no floor or anything. Uh, so that's why I'd say is draft as if your early picks are going to be successful because you need them to be successful anyways. And we're trying to create those great teams that have a chance at this really high, high upside, um, you know, tournaments.
3: No, I think that's, that's a great great call by Justin, and I think that correlates also for redraft, um, where you'll see a, you know if you're if you're going to draft you know for instance we talk about handcuffing if you're going to draft a, a running back in in round one early you have to be optimistic to last the season you don't need to reach to to cuff you ha- can't have like a negative a negative thinking uh, when you're using that much draft capital um, and you talk about mistakes people make um, one thing that that you really taught me reading reading your stuff and, and chatting a little bit was. Um, the way that teams seem to eliminate themselves off the top is the wrong sort of build and structural build. You've been a, a two four nine two guy with the floating position. Uh, are you sticking with that structural build this year? Is that you, And maybe you could explain a little bit the 2-4-9-2 method.
2: Yeah, so specifically this is for, uh, you know, 18-man build, specifically usually mainly underdogs who so have PPR. General concept is... Uh, I wanted to get running backs early, usually getting one or two in the first two rounds and uh, just making a bet that those are going to be my core running backs. And uh, hey, if you draft two running backs early, maybe you're getting someone like, I don't know, a Kamara and a Gibson and a Gibson combo or something. Uh, For you to be successful in that team, those two guys are going to have great seasons. Because of that, I don't want to invest heavily in that position going forward. So I'll probably wait till maybe, I don't know, like that Tony Pollard area and grab two more guys there. Those ones are maybe I'm looking for upside and you have someone like Pollard who Zeke gets hurt and now I have three absolute stud running backs. Boom, I'm in great territory. Or you're looking for guys like a Naheem Hines who just provides you a bit more of a weekly floor because, yes, your two guys, your Kamara and Gibson, are going to have great years, but maybe they miss a game. Maybe they have those bye weeks. Maybe you need some. So let me increase that floor. So now I only, I'm not going to waste capital and go grab two more running backs or, you know, And that's where I'd say that really structure comes from is, hey, focus on your couple early, those running backs, you're making bets that they're successful and uh, then build around it. Now, to your question, how I'm adjusting, I'd say the one major thing I've adjusted this year is I'm doing a bit more of a five running back build because we've seen the wide receivers push so early into the drafts. And then that means the running backs have fallen. Guys, where James White is going? James, you know, obviously the Mac news and James White's now, you know, skyrocketing up a bit. But you know, over the past few weeks, you got James White, you got Giovanni Bernard, you've got Antonio, uh, you've got um, JD McKissick, guys who got that pass catching upside. Uh, they're getting drafted in like the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, even sixteenth rounds. And uh, in previous years, those guys are going in the tenth and eleventh rounds. But because all the wide receivers are getting pushed up. They get bumped back. So the way that I've adjusted is I still like to get that hero that, you know, running back to start the one that is safe and has the upside. But now I'm saying, let me stack up my wide receivers, maybe throw in an elite tight end or quarterback. And I know that in rounds 12 to 15, where the wide receiver drop off is dropping off to the Sterling Shepard kind of tier uh, where I don't want to really be good at my wide receivers there. I'll then just take an extra running back, and now I've got five running backs. It still has that same concept as the four, but I'm sacrificing a little, um, I'm sacrificing an extra draft position in exchange for getting an extra high end wide receiver earlier in the draft.
0: Uh, It's funny you talk about that. Sorry, Theo, that it's funny how in underdog, all of a sudden, one day you wake up one morning and those receivers were just all at the top. And I, it was the same thing. You're sitting there and you're like, hey, how do I counter this? You know, I can't just follow the herd. And, you know, it it, it feels good that every once in a while, Theo, these guests come on and make me feel good about myself because that's that's kind of the approach I took. I was doing more of the the slimmer RB and it's easier to do it now because like you said, you could take the one, you could take even like three or four and just like get them nicely throughout the draft and slam the, the stud receivers. And like you said, even sneak the tight end in there or a quarterback if you want to get a nice stack. Uh, anywhere in in the earlier ranges,
3: yeah. It's the the wide re- the wide receiver is, is just crazy, and it's um you know you saw with the D- Dobbins go down to injury, uh, Travis Etienne go down to injury. It was like two of the younger upside backs that I think a lot of the, the wide receiver heavy drafters were kind of gravitating towards. Yeah. Now they're gone, so now it's just become wide receiver central. Um, and you see it in the in the FFC and the FFPC. Um, in redraft now, where a lot of these, the sixth round used to be a very strong round for wide receivers. Now, a lot of those wide receivers have gotten completely pushed up into the fifth. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. Now you've got, and then now the sixth round has become kind of a running back round. Um, a lot of a lot of very dead zone type guys. But it's uh, it's very interesting the kind of correlation between underdog and and the high the high stakes community right now. Um, and just going back to your to your five running back build, I think that was a really interesting way, um, where Justin is kind of uh, he's, he's switching it up a little bit based on the market. When you go with the five running back build, are you um, still doing the the nine and the two, or have you occasionally done an eight wide receiver build, um, just because uh, the the structure? You ever ever do that?
2: Yeah, definitely, and especially if I hey, I just grabbed four or five wide receivers in the rounds two to five or two to six makes sense. Uh, ideally, um, I only want to get, you know, ideally I only get two QBs and two tight ends. Um, however, a lot of times it ends up that one of those two positions is weak. And so I throw it to the side and I say, okay, so I've got the three. That's five there. Now, if I've got five running backs, I'm only going eight wide receivers. But the thing is, if I'm only going eight wide receivers, it's because two rounds, two to seven, I probably ended up getting five or six wide receivers there. Um, And what did I miss out on? Well, I missed out on elite tight end or elite QB. Uh, And your point was interesting with that sixth round. I I used to love the wide receivers there because I was able to get T Higgins and such there. now you kind of get like, maybe it's like from T Higgins down to Robbie Anderson, you get that drop and yeah, I mean like it's a little more risky and stuff. Uh, So that's where I've been getting that Mark Andrews, the TJ Hawkinson, the Dak Prescott, like I'm willing to say, Hey, uh, I'll take my wide receivers. I'll move up and get a little early, and uh, that's where, like you know, it's it's difficult to compare, but like a difference between a uh, a Dak and uh, Josh Allen, like across the season, I'm not sure. Uh, but if you look at the wide receivers that are getting drafted in the fourth, where Josh Allen is, or the sixth, seventh, where Dak is, that's a major difference in my mind.
3: Yeah, it's it's there. Certainly, seems like there's you know, kind of tear breaks with these wide receivers and it's, it's getting a little more clear cut. Um, and I think a lot of people will try to make up for missing out on maybe a top wide receiver with wide receiver volume. I think it's, that's a little bit dangerous. I think you want exposure to some of these top guys as well. Um, and then lastly, when you do the two, four, nine, two, um, is, would you say tight, tight end using a tight end three would strictly be a, a, based on you not using draft capital on tight ends and trying to piece it together? Is that pretty much yep. it?
2: Exactly. Um, and uh, I think i would moved to decently more uh, three tight ends as well. If I miss out on them, like, like if I miss out on Mark Andrews or Hawkinson and earlier, I'll probably end up waiting a while and grabbing three tight ends just because I think Hunter Henry, Johnu Smith have been getting drafted way too late. And like Hunter Henry, you put a Q next to him and he goes three rounds later for, you know, why? Because <laughs> he might miss a week or two. Um, and then, I mean, I think there's just enough late tight end value that uh, I'll take those three. And then I also personally like grabbing an, a tight end in either the 18th or 20th round for talking to DK uh, because I think OJ Howard, I think Donald Parham, uh, I think those are guys that could have uh, pretty strong seasons. And uh, when I'm comparing Alice to who else I'm drafting there, like I used to be able to get Josh Palmer in the 18th or the 20th round. Um, now he's skyrocketing up. And I think we, as we get closer, um, you see that there's less kind of late flyers in the wide receivers, um, and so it makes it more difficult. So now I'm like, okay, well, let me use that 18th or that 20th for that tight end that I know that, that I'm still bullish on.
3: Yeah, there's Marley. no there's no wide re- no wide receiver sleepers anymore. It's like these guys don't exist. Um, yeah, and they rise up so quickly. The market corrects so quickly. You see Terrace Marshall, how he's just flown up draft boards. You see Marquez Callaway just flown up draft boards. Cody Myers is is flying up draft boards. It's just uh, the market corrects like super super quick these days. And um, yeah, there's no there's no values on wide receivers. so I'll, I'll echo that one.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, the, the one – I'd say that it's two or three that I'm still targeting at that back end and that kind of round 18, round 20. Um, so, as I mentioned, Josh Bomber, um, and I think we got some you – know, the news with Ty Johnson being cut yesterday um, was very promising. He's been getting the third-wide receiver splits through most of the camp. Uh, he definitely has the big play aspect and on an offense with Justin Herbert. I love that. Um, I would also throw Diami Brown um, – surprisingly somehow still able to fall and i think it is just you know maybe people are you know concerned about his actual playing time and the thing is with these best ball tournaments i'm drafting for what's going to be happening later on in the season like yes every point in the you know first couple weeks matters but i've got these other wide receivers that i'm drafting what five or six seven before him uh and they don't have bye weeks so i'll count on them early but uh if i can find someone that has that opportunity and the last one who um, just really has not shown us anything on the field due to his because of the injury aspect, and so it hasn't gotten any buzz, is uh, Eskridge out of Seattle. And uh, when you have the opportunity to be a third wide receiver for a Ross Wilson offense, uh, and we've seen that that you know we we've been hearing that they're trying to do a little more of the quick passes, a little more of the yards after catch, a little more of a high pace <clears throat> offense. Uh, Dewayne Eskridge in my mind can kind of stretch the field and also be used a little as a gadget.
3: I love that Eskridge call, and they only in Seattle we've only kept like five wide receivers, um, with cuts. So he's gonna, he's going to be forced into a role. Um, and you know, we like, we like Gerald Everett a little bit, um, as well in the go district for that same reason. I think it's pretty clear, um, in Seattle with the, where the targets are going.
0: We, we started touching on like bye weeks and stuff, Justin, how much does schedule, uh, correlation play with your builds, whether it's DFS or best ball, um, how much do you take that into consideration?
2: Yeah, I mean, DFS is huge just because it's one-week sample and you're able to actually judge off, like, hey, what have we seen lately and what's going on right now? Uh, from a best ball, I very, very rarely uh, include much on a schedule aspect for if I'm trying to evaluate a team's defense. Uh, if anything, I think we are far better at projecting the success of an offense and their run-pass split um, than we are from a, hey, how's that defense actually going to play? Where I will play some schedule elements are, um, is with the actual week 17. While we don't know which defenses may be good or bad, we're not good at that. We do know who's playing each other, and we know that those games have correlation. And so, yes, we're not sure which games are going to be a shootout. And so that's where, like the what the Cincinnati and KC, like everyone's jumping on that. But I would say, hey, find the ones that don't look like it because we're not actually that confident in what those games will look like. Focus on the ones that maybe have some stronger offenses. Uh, but we know that if that game becomes a shootout, you have that correlation and it's probably a bit more unique correlation. So that's where I'd say uh, there's some week 17 edge for these big tournaments. I like,
3: no, that. I like that. I mean, we've heard a lot of people talk about that, um, you know, like the Atlanta Buffalo and and uh, Kansas city, Cincinnati, like you said, I think it's just a, like you said, the, the markets are, are just getting tighter and I think people are looking for any edge they can get um, in these underdog type tournaments. So I, I thought that was good stuff. So, Basically, you don't. You only kind of would look at it as a as a tiebreaker when you're drafting, more as something with your your, uh, your general strategy. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Okay. Cool. And then, um, getting back to you, touched on a couple of rookies. Um, I love the Diami Brown call. Um, I think that, and the Pauler call kind of goes with this as well, where we people kind of have an assumption that these guys like Curtis Samuel and Mike Williams are, are just better. I mean, a guy like Palmer and a guy like Demi Brown who've really flashed through the draft capital. Um, there's a scenario whereby, you know, they're, they're the you know, number two or three target on their team and they've overtaken these guys. So I love that. But one guy you haven't touched on, we basically, it's kind of a rule. We have to ask every single guest about is, <laughs> is, uh, is how are you, how are you treating Kyle Pitts? Um, is he a player you've been uh, avoiding at cost or are you bullish on him? Talk away. on okay.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, let's ignore tight end premium leagues, uh, but just talking more like underdog and draft Kings uh, yeah. for, for me, his uh, ADP is just very high. Um, I, I enjoy getting him, but the wide, what I'm giving up at that time, those wide receivers that are at his place. Like if I can get Amari Cooper and I'm comparing Amari Cooper versus Kyle Pitts, like I'm grabbing Cooper every time. Um, I think that's where like, hey, if he ends up in my team, because he does fall and there's probably that kind of tier break of the wide receivers um, where he's after, I'd say, like the Mike Evans, the Murray Cooper. Um, and he really falls to that, like, I don't know, high 40s or so. I'm happy to get him uh, because I do think he is he has that level of upside that we're looking for that can win you the season and finish as kind of that, you know uh, you know, top tight end, top two tight end. Uh, I think the challenge is, is that across your portfolio, what are the actual chances this happens? And then what are you giving up across? And the other wide receivers at that place from a roster construction for me are just uh, too, too more important to me than uh, reaching or taking him at his current ADP.
3: I think that's fair. Um, and then how would you compare him to just in your own general thoughts um, where do you have him uh, with Hawkinson? I know that Andrews, you seem to be very bullish on. Do you consider Pitts in the same tier with those guys, or, or, is, or are they, is he a little bit behind just in oh, general? No, I,
2: yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd put him substantially above that tier. Uh, I don't okay. think either of those two have the upside. I don't think Andrews has the volume just because of the offense, and I don't think that Hawkinson has the touchdown efficiency also because of the offense. Uh, Kyle Pitts, I think he could very easily be the number two wideout, and he really is a wideout on that Atlanta team, on a team that needs to throw, on a team that doesn't really have much of a run game. And uh, it's not like their defense is going to beat them and keeping them in games. So there was a very easy narrative that Kyle Pitts becomes a top two or so tight end this year. Um, I also just know that there's a lot of you know, question marks for a player that we haven't seen in the NFL, all the data around tight ends and such. We just don't know how that's going to be used they still have Hayden Hurst as well. And Hayden Hurst may play a bit of a role as well, definitely in the red zone. Uh, so that's where it's just, I love him. I think he's got some great potential. I just drafted him in a, in a you know, a, a league uh, for like a redraft league the other night, but the wide receivers, I'm just enamored with in that area.
3: Where'd you get him in the redraft league? Just uh, out of curiosity.
2: Doesn't count because it was a keeper league. So I had to take him ninth overall, but like it's, 60, 70% of the league are keepers, so it's, it's hard to say, yeah.
3: There you go, there you go. Well, I'm interested, I love, I love hearing that you're bullish on on Pitts as a talent because we've, we've been going back and forth all summer. Um, I'm really, really excited about him as well. Um, you know, I have a lot of him in Dynasty now, and uh, I think it's takeoff season. And I think just from a, a high-volume drafter uh, approach um, is I, I want some exposure to Pitts because, like Justin said, I mean, there's a scenario where it happens very, very quickly – um, you know, he exceeds the, the targets that are being projected for him and, and he becomes just a, a real factor right away. So I, I, that was that was some really good stuff there.
0: You you talked, Justin, about uh, kind of the upper tier, the upper guys in at the tight end position and some of those bottom guys like deep, deep OJ Howard type of guys. Uh, I, I'm a big Moali. Cox kind of guy myself. But um what about the middle layer? Uh, you know, the 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 Goddard's, the fans the the guys a little after that. Are you playing in that that garden at all? Or are you just kind of bypassing that to, to get to the bottom?
2: Yeah. Uh so Goddard, I was on early in the year. Um, but once we started seeing some more news that Ertz wasn't gonna get traded, that Ertz is gonna have a role, I've been completely off of him. Uh, I do like the Fant and Higby tier um, because I think those two provide something that the you know pretty much anyone behind him don't. Where Fant provides the actual on a player basis, he has the talent that if you can see a line of sight to him getting increased volume, then he could have a big breakout. Problem is that offense there's a lot of malice to feed you. Just don't expect it. Uh, Higby on the other side, and don't expect to have that big breakout season. But like on a PPR basis he could still get that volume. And uh, we have seen in that offense and that, you know, what, what four to five, five, five to six week stretch where he was the focal point of their offense. And the thing with Sean McVay uh, is a lot of people are scared with Sean McVay players because they can't predict what McVay is going to do. And they're like, ah, Cooper cups, not even like what I remember the games on Cooper cup, like basically was on the bench or they just had him blocking or they brought in, um, I forgot what their third wide receiver was Josh something. Um, Reynolds Reynolds. and they're like, Hey, we like Josh Reynolds in this because he's better on the line blocking. And so Cooper cup basically just didn't play a game. Uh, That's extremely frustrating from like a season long perspective, but for best ball, I actually like the McVay aspect because yes, he's got this wonkiness, but when he game plans, he'll just give one player a crazy amount of touches. And we saw it with Cooper cup having like the 17 target game. We saw it with Higby having the double digits And uh, those are the things that help you win leagues. Like if we look at the win rates from the Will Fuller, Will Fuller was hurt for some of the season, didn't have the greatest season, but he had like a 45 or a 54, I don't remember what it was, one game. And that right there, that one aspect, won him a bunch of best ball leagues, just because, hey, if you have 12 points for every game across the season, you might be gaining one point over your replacement players. But you, and across the season for 16 weeks, that's 16 points. You get a 45- you're now putting up what thirty points more than your replacement players. So like that one game was twice as effective as someone who had a more consistent but just wasn't that much better than your replacement, um, you know, players. Yeah,
0: yeah H- Higby. Great, Higby's,
2: Higby's,
0: yeah, On it's a. Great, I was color. gonna say Higby's the name I forgot. It's it's uh him and Fenn are definitely uh, two nice targets there. And with Everett gone, uh, and you talked about uh, Reynolds as well being gone, uh, going to Tennessee. So less mouth mouth to feed and maybe the uncertainty of McVeigh offers that value that we're looking for, you know, when we're looking at these guys throughout the draft. (laughs) Our buddy, Kevin Wheeler in the, in the chat, throwing one of his favorites in, uh, in Fant. Um, I think, did we lose Theo? Let's see. I'll bring him back in here. There we go.
2: Yeah. I mean, like no offense, like there's no question with the talent, obviously has the draft cap, the capital was half drafted high. It's just, uh, that offense, I still I feel like a run first offense that has very strong talent. Like, I don't know. As a youth, what I'd probably put the Broncos wide receiver core as a top like seven unit when you could buy in all three. I think KJ Hamler is probably one of the best like third wide receivers on a team. Not the best, but like definitely up there. Um, yeah, it's, there's just a lot of, lot of talent for that pass catching core to figure out how we're distributing.
0: Guys, smash the like button so we can get Theo oh, some better internet. He's uh, I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. Guys, the the goodness. I'm in, in studio stu-
3: studio studio B today, Jake. Studio J. B, B. In my <laughs> little home <hub laughs> office instead of the uh, my usual dining room studio.
0: And uh, Kevin Wheeler on also on the Miami receiving uh, uh, train there with uh, Fuller at twenty three percent, his third highest uh, rated stack with Fuller and, and Tua, so he's uh, also a big fan.
2: I have so much to it this year. Um, Just seems to be such an easy stack partner when you've got, I mean, because Devante Parker falls, Will Fuller falls, same thing with the DraftKings aspect where Will Fuller is probably going, I don't know, I think three rounds later than we see on underdog, just because he's got that kind of injury um, notation, which is just silly. Like, yeah, he's going to miss one game, uh, but Will Fuller is a beast. He might be like a top 10 from an actual talent wide receiver in the league. Um, yeah, they still have Waddle. Yes, they have Devontae Parker, but uh, Will Fuller is just a steal in drafts.
0: Does Giseki get a bit of that love in Miami from you? Uh, Long seems to be back. I'm pretty sure I saw him on the field in a preseason game. Uh, is he someone you
2: think in his contract season that can maybe pop? Yeah, I think he had two catches in one of the preseason games, looked pretty decent in his snaps. Uh, unfortunately, I've been considering that he's just kind of the odd man out when you bring in Waddle from a bo- more of a kind of underneath aspect. Um, and uh, Parker, Fuller, just uh, he's the one that unfortunately I think falls out. But hey, if the entire offense is great, still has that opportunity to benefit.
3: Wheeler. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, we're bullish on Waddle. Has Waddle been a guy that you're um, you're getting a lot of exposure to as well? I know you're high on Fuller, but Waddle's going the highest yeah. it seems these days.
2: He is, I'd say, a decent amount, but I'm probably getting more of the Fuller Parker. It's just a form of arbitrage there. Um, At the end of the day, if you think the offense is going to be great and two is going to, you know, really take that next step, um, I'll take the value on between those three wide receivers. Um, But uh, yeah, I've got some of him, but he's also going a little like. Sometimes I see him going higher than like. Occasionally I've seen a higher than Tyler Boyd, which is crazy, but I've even seen, you know, seen him higher usually than like the Mike Gallup area. And that's where I'd rather just kind of take some of those other wide receivers.
0: Before we, uh, we, we kind of did this backwards, Justin, usually we were, like I said, we were just way too excited to get into it. We usually start with uh, a bit of NFL headlines. We, we call it a, you know, rapid fired-ish because we usually hang there for 40 minutes. But uh, before we kind of move to that, with DFS season kind of around the corner, is there any other advice that you can give our listeners, our audience uh, to help them get have a chance to live the Justin Herzig (laughs) dream of winning, winning the six digits?
2: Yeah, I think the best piece of advice I would give is try to find a game, a contest selection, a version within DFS that uh, you think you may have an edge on and then dive deep into that. Uh, That's really what I've done. Like, if you're just going to go play, and hey, well, it depends what depends, what is your goals? If your goal is just to have that little fun, go play the main slate, throw some money in a big tournament, maybe you win, you know, you're know, you having a little sweat, it's good. But if you're taking this more of kind of like a, you know, a business type approach, like you really want to optimize, you really want to figure out what your edge is, pick one game, one contest, one style, and uh, go after that. If it's single game showdown, figure out how you can be the best at that. Maybe you can grind by going to three minutes. Like one of the things that we were learning in the past year or two is that, hey, FanDuel single game showdown, there's so much overlap. And you can actually, if you start paying attention to who uh, various people play, you can either start predicting what they're going to play going forward. So if you want to put that grind in, you can be like, hey, these two guys almost always are the same lineup. Let me join that three man. Now, it's not that I'm actually getting better at DFS. and I'm not getting better. Or maybe I'm not getting better at player projections or anything, but I'm getting better at the game theory strategy and my contest selection. For me, it's been second half showdown. I uh, absolutely loved it because I think it's one of the most pure forms of DFS where I can't just go to some other, you know, can't go to site and see what the projections are because the second half is so much based off that first half results. I also got to watch the game and see, hey, are they double covering this wide receiver? Maybe there was this injury issue. Maybe there's something that they're doing unique. And so I fell in love with that and I said, let me dive into it. I did some kind of, um, you know, data stuff to figure out like, okay, what usually happens when teams are ahead or behind? And uh, that's now one of my favorite games. And my goal was like, hey, I'm going to be the best second half player of this sport. And uh, that's something that, you know, I, I'm, I'm still aspiring towards.
0: And and for those guys at Justin Herzig, uh, H-E-R-Z-I-G, that's one of your strengths from own the moment with Top Shot and watching your DFS stuff, your best ball stuff, uh, reading your established run, your uh, approach with strategy I think is what gives you an edge because I think a lot of people, maybe they are good at predicting or forecasting players and rankings and tiers and building rosters. But maybe they're not necessarily using the strategy aspect versus the opponent or with the settings of the game or, you know, whatever it is uh, that that they're that they're playing. And then the other thing that you said that I think is very important is if you want to do something well, master, master and focus. Right. Don't try to be good at everything. Um, and then, you know, maybe once you master that, you, like Justin did, you kind of move on from there and spread your wings and, and try to win in other areas. But I think two very valid uh, points and advice for our our audience today.
2: Yeah. And for better or for worse, a lot of DFS really has turned into to beat DFS. You've got to beat it off the field. So it's no longer so much about the actual projecting the players and what's going to happen on there. It's the larger game around the game. And honestly, like we were talking about the owner's club, that's one of the things we love about the owner's club is we're trying to bring that football aspect back into it where, hey, if you're able to kind of project who you think is going to do well across the season, there's opportunities to profit. There's opportunities to speculate, opportunities to really capitalize on that. And uh, that's where, like, you know, the DFS, we still love it, but it really has turned into a bit more of a kind of a game theory aspect. Uh, the owner's club is really getting back to the roots of football. Like, hey, you know your football? Buy that card. Play it. Win.
0: Cool. Uh, Theo, anything that we missed on or that you want to, you know, pick Justin's brain uh, before we, we head into the news?
3: Yeah. So one, one question I had is when you're approaching a DFS single week, um, you use, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Vegas totals. Is there any other tools that the average player could look at um, that could could help them uh, build build the right lineups? I know there's optimizers and all those sort of things. But is there anything yeah. that just more more raw um, type data that they would be?
2: Yeah, I mean, out? I would say, I would say for the majority of people, um, just find a projection system out there. Usually, use it as a site that you enjoy. The people who are leading that site and you kind of trust them. Uh, at the end of the day, all the projections are going to be pretty similar. Um, what you should do with those projections then is not just go enter those into a lineup, but use those <clears throat> use those as a baseline. Start with those and figure out. It- Take your time in. I must have just got so excited about this. Um, no, no. So you take those projections and you're not supposed to treat those as the Holy grail or anything, but just kind of use those at baseline and start playing with the various lineups. Hey, this is where I select like my core group of players. Here's where I like the lineups. And a lot of DFS really is similar to what we talked about. Basketball is assume something goes right and then build your lineup off of that. Think about, okay, Yeah, we know that these running backs are all projected for these amount of points, but let's say this game blows out. Okay, they win by 10 points. We now want that home running back who's leading. Okay, but what's the rest of that game look like? And maybe across like a DFS lineup, you can kind of pick two or three games or two or three things that you're betting on. And if those go together, you really are kind of parlaying them and getting that great outcome.
0: Guys, the goodness keeps coming. Make sure you smash the like, show your support. Uh, You see it at the bottom with uh, ViridianGlobal.com. I mean, I've got the hat on, whether it's shirts, hoodies, fantasy football, podcasts, uh, you know, anything you're interested in around football, you'll find something on there. Uh, Your favorite rookie, your favorite, you know, stud that's taking your team uh, to a championship. Go to ViridianGlobal.com forward slash collections forward slash goat district to find your goat gear. We're gonna go to the news, Justin. We had Scott on last night. We Can I, can I pause
2: real quick? I gotta get yes, that hat. That hat is fire. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm putting down the link though because uh, I'll send get you one. I'll one of those send goes. you one, brother. I uh, love one. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll get you one. That's a great logo. Great gear.
0: We'll send you one. Appreciate that. Um, shout out to uh, to, to uh, Will Will and Mark uh, over there at Ridi just putting out some some fire gear. We, we we had Scott on last night. We talked a lot about the situation in New England. You touched on the tight ends. Uh, maybe give us some thoughts that we haven't touched on with regards to Cam leaving and some ripple effects, uh, maybe, you know, with the receivers or or the running game out there in New England.
2: Yeah. So Leonie and I, in a couple hours, were chatting through kind of the projections for uh, the Patriots after this, you know, uh, Cam news. Uh, I've been high on James White throughout the season uh, because, you know, I was making bad. I believe that I know. we saw what Cam, we saw what Cam was in the field last year. Uh, Mac looked great on the you know preseason game. so I'm thinking like, hey, once again, I'm making a bet that this New England offense is going to be successful and that, that, that the only way that happens is with Mac Jones leading the way. So with Mac now I'm thinking, okay, what does the rest of that team look like? Well, I want a bunch of James White. I think we initially had his like you know, uh, you know his targets at something around like 3.8 per game we bump that up because I think they're going to play a bit of a higher pace than you saw with the cam go back to their 2017 to 2019 time period. Uh, I think James White ends up getting somewhere in the actual, like four to four and a half targets a game. And he just becomes that uh, that lead, um, you know, that that check down back for Mac Jones Um, and then Damian Harris as well, because now that we've got Mac in there, well, we were expecting that Damian, yes, he's not going to get the pass catches, but he still has now that goal line opportunity. Um, it's always so hard to predict the new England backfield and what you had two or three years where it was like, well, whoever's drafting latest ended up having the bigger year. Um, So it's hard to have too much confidence, but I do believe that going into the season, Damian Harris will be that core back. I think he's going to get a decent amount of touchdowns in that offense because in the red zone, you want to get the hands out of your rookie quarterback, give it to the running back. Uh, But James White is the one that I'm probably most confident in from an ADP perspective, just because of how much he's going to be used in that passing game.
3: And then your your thoughts on Jacoby Myers, who we touched on last night. Um, I'm completely with you on Harris. I think he's he's got value. Um, I'm interested to hear your thought on on um, Myers and also your your outlook on Janu and Hunter Henry.
2: Yeah, Jacoby's such an interesting test case because all the numbers love him, but it was just such a small sample size last year. Um, and then also like yeah, he was getting ridiculous target uh, you know a target percentage of that overall passing game. But also, those passes were only like what 16, 18 passes a game, like some stupid, silly number because of the way Cam was going. Um, doesn't have the pedigree, but he's always performed at, the, at a high level. And uh, we loved him in the preseason for his first couple of years. Like he's always doing well and on the field, he's shown it. So uh, I'm always willing to bet on the guys that continue to just surprise us and outperform. And I think there's a possibility there. Uh, but we can't ignore, I mean, And once again, he's also going to benefit a lot more from this just being an overall more pass-heavy offense. Um, I think Nelson Aguilar still is a decent talent, and we saw him really bring it together with the uh, the Raiders last year. Um, But it just doesn't seem like he's been getting kind of the training camp report. So uh, I would definitely default to Jacoby being the number one wide receiver there, Um, James White still being kind of maybe the number two from a total pass catches. Uh, eh, That's probably an extension. That's an exaggeration a little, but I still think this had a heavy role. And then of the tight ends, uh, I love the idea of this, what Boston tea party um, was a year and a half ago, maybe two years. Uh, Belichick had a quote about John U Smith saying he thinks he was the best yards after catch uh, tight end or receiver in the game. Um, and uh, that always kind of stuck in my mind is okay. Now Belichick's Belichick says this. He doesn't often say those kind of things about opposing players. He's always complimentary. But that was one of the more specific ones that I've heard him. So it always kept in my mind that, okay, now that is there, Belichick's going to find a way to use him after the catch. And uh, that's fantasy goodness because those are higher, um, higher likelihood catches plus plays that really create him and you know, find him in space. So I'm a little more bullish on the upside of Giannu. Um With a Hunter Henry, I think he's probably actually has a bit more of a like higher higher floor and maybe, maybe a higher uh, target volume. Um, but I think overall, they're both uh, they're both plays that I've been drafting a decent amount of. Uh,
0: COVID is, is obviously, you know, newer, uh, I guess, uh, with things we have to consider. You know, now you're hearing the Jags, you know, backpedaling uh, with, with Myers with his foot in his mouth. It, how does COVID, you know, maybe a question I should have asked you in the last section, but. Ah, uh, just watching the headlines, we see it in there, and this is going to be a topic all season. How does it play in how you're building rosters or just your approach to fantasy? Just a couple tips or a couple things that maybe you're you're you know keeping an eye on.
2: Yeah, no, that's tough. Um, that's honestly something that there is probably an edge that I have not dove into yet, and someone should. Uh, I know one of the things is we we're looking at trying to find out, like, hey, can we actually create lists of who has, who hasn't been vaccinated, who are the higher risk ones and it's just such difficult data to get uh i think in general it's more of just uh hey we need to remain agile and flexible throughout the season and be ready for some craziness and wonkiness from a redraft style process um like i don't know i'm not going to start getting a handcuff and changing my strategy there because of COVID. i'm not going to like i think significantly change i'm not going to start like on a redraft carry a second quarterback to my josh allen just because of that possibility. So if anything, I would say don't overreact too much. Don't kind of prepare for these what if scenarios when they happen, they're going to happen, but I don't think there's much edge that we can get and actually trying to project them going forward.
3: Yeah. I think from a redraft perspective, um, you could try to be a little more careful with your fab. If you're really worried about it, Um, you don't want to get stuck needing to, to make some moves, you know, in unexpected weeks, um, you know, we saw last year a couple times where you know things got moved around. Hopefully, it's a little bit better this year. But you know, if a guy misses some time, you want to be able to add somebody possibly with the second waiver wire run. So that would be be my advice. I say that, and I'm I'm probably gonna drop a, a big bid on on you know Callaway or something next week anyway. So
0: <laughs> we get excited, right, for those uh, those free agents because we don't we don't think there's gonna be another one. It's like when you're watching that stock candle go green you're like this thing never comes down man i gotta buy it right now it's just never hop, coming hop down. on for
3: the rod. hop on as for soon the as ride. you
0: buy it comes right back down retraces um
3: i wanted to ask uh, justin about two kind of influx backfields um first we'll start with the rams after the the sunny michelle trade um just just your thoughts on on henderson and, and michelle and, and your approach to um that backfield or just your general thoughts
2: yeah. So before the Michelle signing, I was definitely way above market on Henderson. Um, you know, I kind of take a mindset of, hey, if uh, Cam Akers would have had an injury, I don't know, three months ago, where would we have been drafting Henderson? I think it would have been a lot higher. Uh, I'm not in the ballpark that would have been like the Antonio Gibson range, but I think definitely above like, you know, maybe like that even above Chris Carson area. Um, now you bring in Sony Michelle. I think it gives me a little more concern um, just because like, I don't know how much they really want to dedicate to a workhorse back. The league is moving away from workhorse backs to begin with. Um, so it makes sense that he fell from, but as he's getting drafted now, which I'm seeing like in the sixth round, I still think is a good value because from an upside perspective, he's still going to be the one that's catching passes. Uh, this offense still has the ability to you know, not go back to the fastest, the, the fastest offense on turf, but uh, you know, we can get some old school Rams with uh, Stafford back there and kind of just that in that dome. So I'm still bullish there uh sony michelle i'm probably not drafting um i wasn't drafting him before i don't really think there's substantial upside i guess like yeah you might have some games where they're just like okay we're gonna go with the old school todd Gurley on the ground of, of you know get those 20 carries and maybe he you know falls in for a touchdown it's not that sony michelle's bad it's just i don't trust uh I, I don't expect he's gonna start catching passes anytime soon and uh if i'm drafting backs i want backs to have upside
3: I think it's an interesting point. I know ETR has been, um, you know, above consensus on on Henderson for a while, um, and I think this might be a, a buying opportunity for Henderson. I mean, I've seen Sony Michelle go the very early eighth round, um, late seventh, occasionally in some of these these higher stakes drafts. So I think the the you know you're starting to see Henderson fall into a, a very affordable range, um, even if you're even if you're a little bit down and you think it's going to be a split. Um, You know, at that point, you're drafting Henderson, and he can perform as a low-end RB two, even a high-end RB three, and he's still not gonna not gonna kill you in your build. And then, what is your take on the on the ball situation? Uh, J.K. Dobbins down. Your outlook on you know Gus and maybe some of the sleepers like uh, like Williams or potentially Justice Hill.
2: Yeah. So early in the season and one of the articles that I put out, I specifically talked about like a comp between Gus Edwards and Alex Madison. And I was saying like, Hey, I'd rather have Alexander Madison two rounds later than Gus Edwards, because if the lead back in either of those two goes down, if Dalvin cook goes down, Alex Madison is being drafted. as like a what end of the first round wide running back. Like he legit has that kind of potential. Uh, JK Dobbins goes down. And I don't think that Gus Edwards is even a common workhorse. Like if you look at that offense, uh, they haven't shown a desire to have one running back really carry the workload. So I don't expect them to start doing that now. The other is you still have from a goal line back aspect, Lamar is still going to be there. This may increase Lamar's actually rushing touchdowns and usage uh, rather than, I think, yes, Edwards will get an increase in what we were expecting before just because of the Dobbins going out. But I don't think it you know, vaults him all the way up into the you know, workhorse bell cow back there. And Gus Edwards doesn't catch many passes. Hasn't in the past. I don't expect them to start doing that now. Lamar doesn't even pass that much to his back, so I still, um, I'm still, uh, I'd say, cautious on the upside there. Obviously, if you were drafting him back in the twelfth round, like you're ecstatic right now, uh, but I wouldn't be chasing it. And the larger topic we should also discuss with the Henderson, with the Michelle, with the Edwards, with any of these is in a best ball style format. You have to add some game theory aspects where. Let's say you are right that Gus Edwards, you know, you're right now thinking Gus Edwards is going to be the RB10 on the year, RB5, have a huge season. Okay, awesome. So you draft him in the what, sixth round right now? He has that great year. You advance to the playoffs of these best ball tournaments. But the thing is, you're advancing with him being a sixth round pick. Because he had such a good year, all those teams that drafted him in the 12th round, they're also advancing, but they have him as a 12th round pick. So you are literally guaranteeing that you're starting the playoffs at a disadvantage compared to those other teams. And so I'd rather say, hey, I don't know if Gus Edwards is really going to be this blowout player, but I'll take someone else that's being drafted the same play as him, and I think it's maybe 50-50 between the two, and if the one I choose now blows up when I go to the playoffs, I'm not going against people who were getting him in the 12th. I'm on a level playing
3: field. I think that's a great call. We've touched on this this subject in regards to um, you know, higher stakes tournaments like you know the Football Guys Tournament uh, or the NFFC Primetime, where a guy might have had exposure to Darrell Henderson in the double-digit rounds, should he hop in in X Y Z round? And I think that um, you're you in best ball. I think it matters even more because it's you know it's basically the tournament at the end, and um, I think that's an absolutely great call.
0: A couple, uh, couple quick news items that just popped up. The Saints-Packers game playing in Jacksonville week one. I don't know if there's any ramifications, Justin, whether you're talking DFS or setting lineups. Maybe more like sports betting. If you had a, a bet on the, the game, the line maybe moves a little away from, from the Saints.
2: Interesting. Still 4 o'clock, 425 game, I think it was. I believe, so. uh, yes, 425. Okay, that'd be my only concern, just if they moved it off like the main slate for DFS. Um, Yeah, outside of a dome versus inside, uh, you know, maybe that point total is going to drop maybe a point. Um, As long as there's no Hurricanes, shouldn't have too much wind aspect. Uh, I will say I am very high on Alvin Kamara for this year. Um, I will probably be getting him early in DFS just to kind of. Uh, you know, especially with all the injuries going on for the wide receiver route, I would not be surprised if, you know, Alvin Kamara ends up getting 10 targets week one and, uh, just has one of those huge AK games. Is he two or three free? Oh, that's tough. Um, I've been drafting him three for most of the off season and, uh, still overweight on him because people are drafting Derek Henry and others before him, um, on DraftKings. I think there's a very strong argument for him to be number two, uh, but I'd probably still keep him three just because I think there still is a level of concern that that offense just is really bad. And uh, if that's the case, he's not going to get those touchdowns that we would need for him to really propel um, Dalvin, you know, Dalvin, just, we know what he is in that offense and it's probably, you know, I think Alvin Kamara has higher upside, but Dalvin's probably safe enough that I'd still keep him two, but I'm not arguing against anyone that chooses Alvin Kamara too for PPR, full PPR.
0: Two words for you guys to end this thing off. Brashad Perryman just signed in Chicago for a year.
2: Ooh. Ooh. Okay, good. I thought I, th- I thought you were teasing me. Uh, so no, no, no. Sure I, yeah.
0: Because he's a, he's a late guy. You're grabbing thinking he'd pop oh, in Detroit yeah. and then you're like, Oh shit. I got, you know, shares of him, but I'm, I'm guessing you're feeling the same. You're happy. He signed somewhere and there's, let's face it. Anthony Miller hasn't exactly stepped up. Uh, what are your he's thoughts? Gone. Yeah, Anthony,
3: yeah, Anthony Miller in Houston and, uh, yeah, it's pretty, right. pretty empty after, uh, after, after Mooney, it was kind of like, it looked like it was going to be a mix. So, you know, Perriman's got a path to the wide receiver. So he can stay healthy for sure. Yeah.
2: I like that. Yeah. I was after I've been drafting a little Marquise Goodwin actually, because he had some positive camp reports out of there and thinking, Hey, Justin Fields with that job, Marquise Goodwin can have a field stretcher. had haven't been drafted any of the Demir Bird, but he was the other one out there. But, uh, no, I like it. Um, as, a, as someone who is very overweight and Brashad Perryman, um, I'm, I'm very happy with that kind of landing spot. And uh, you're not going to see it early in the season, and that's OK. But uh, also, I don't care about that offense until Justin Fields gets there.
0: And with all the goodness you've given us today, we're, we're glad to leave you with with a bit of good news uh, <laughs> to deliver you that news, uh, you know, in, on this fine Wednesday. Yeah. Um, this has been awesome, guys. Theo, anything we missed before uh, we give Justin the mic to close this out?
3: Yeah, so I, you've, you've given Alvin Kamara as a potential building block for, for week one DFS. Are there any other um, high priced guys that you highly recommend for, you know, and also maybe a couple of, of low priced guys that could be nice guys to fill in a, uh, a lineup for week one?
2: Yeah, um, so I would say low-priced guy that's not high projected. I think I saw him at about RB20 um, when I was looking at some of the you know, projections, rankings. Um, David Montgomery. Um, he's a guy that just people are always down on, not exciting. Um, but with the way that I think that offense is going to run, and uh, who do they – do you have anyone have available who Chicago's playing? If you guys could find that while I talk. It's the it's um, a
3: Ram, Rams week one.
2: Yeah. Okay. And so I like that just from a, Hey, I could see this being a bit of a shootout offense. Damian Williams on high on from a season perspective, but like when we're looking at that offense and I'm looking for week one is, Hey, who, which teams have a bit of flux where they're maybe not fully there. And so they're just going to lean on a bit more of their kind of dependable things from maybe the previous year. And I think that's one where, Dave, not Dave Montgomery is going to be very low owned. No, he's not like a great play, but if you're trying to get contrarian, uh, I could see him being a guy who ends up with, uh, some high volume and maybe like, you know, throw in touchdown or two. Um, and then other than that, I think just as an overall perspective, it's, Hey, I'm trying to find the guys that I'm aware of that I'm been, you know, drafted throughout best ball before they really have that blow up. And, uh, so you can, you know, I think it's a really difficult matchup again. I don't remember who, but, uh, Chargers, I think, have a tough matchup, but I still want to get some like Justin Herbert, Josh Palmer, Stacks.
3: Washington Week 1, that's a, that's actually really uh, kind of a tilting game for a lot of people. You have the Gibson drafters, the Eckler drafters, and then DFS-wise as well. Yeah.
0: Guys, this has been a blast. Justin, remind the people all your goodness. Establish the run, own the moment, the owner's club all the goodness, uh, important dates coming up, maybe remind them and anything else you want to share uh, before we close this out.
2: Yeah. So start off, I'd say, uh, on Twitter, T O C N F T follow us there and you'll get all the information for the owner's club. Uh, and then from a date wise, the initial sale, the preseason sale is Tuesday, the 7th at 5.00 PM Eastern time. Uh, we are going to have 4,000 packs available and then 5,000 singles. Uh, we have, uh, you know, received, a decent amount of a lot of demand for this. Uh, so I would say, hey, if you are interested, check out the site. Uh, we'd love to have you reach out to me and I'm happy to answer any questions. But uh, yeah, 5 p.m., definitely recommend being there.
0: Awesome, Theo. This has been awesome uh, as expected. Uh, if you, you know, like we said, you're, you're watching right now, you're loving this, smash the like. Theo, anything, uh, you, you have something coming up. Remind me and the people with our boy, Andrew.
3: Yeah, so uh, Andrew Schellenberg and I are going to be back on the Goat District tonight at 8 o'clock. Um, we are in the NFFC uh, Tag Team uh, Satellite Draft, which is really an awesome competition. Um, you have, um, you know, a lot of really, really high-level players. Um, Nelson Sousa's in there. Mark Winker is in there. Um, just looking at this this list, Matt, Matt Modica, who's actually going to be coming on to the Goat District as a guest in a couple weeks, um, he's in there um it's a it's a loaded room um it's a great event and it's a 500 hundred dollar entry 12 12 team closed league and we're gonna we're gonna broadcast the draft and uh we have first overall pick so spoiler alert we're taking uh christian mccaffrey at one and then it's gonna get a little (laughs) interesting i know we're using the edge of their seats for that living on the edge deal. right about right about maybe five minutes before eight o'clock we'll go live and um yeah we've had a lot of these really fun uh half millie billies drafts with um the FTC, so now we're taking it over to the NFFC.
0: So guys, check that out, and Theo also will be coming at you weekly with a Waiver Wire show on this very channel. Uh, check out all his goodness on Breakout Finder as well. And guys, we, you see it at the bottom of the page, the owner's club. You, you're hearing the hype with NFTs, whether you missed or not on Top Shot or, or whatever your situation, you're trying to get back in. I know personally, I'd l- I'm more crypto, I'm, I'm all about crypto, but NFTs, I, you know, I'm not I'm not that familiar with, you know, what's going to pop, what's not. This is a great way for you for you guys to get in, guys, to, to get your foot in the door. It's something you guys understand. It's football. Uh, like Justin said, you'll have an edge over a lot of these people because there's also going to be an NFT uh, niche of people that are entering there and you'll have an advantage. They might have an advantage over you, you know, whether it's uh, trading the cards and that kind of thing at first. But that football knowledge that you bring is going to give you an edge for sure. In a game like this so so take advantage go check it out uh the owners club and justin thanks to you theo always a blast man this was you know another great one guys smash the likes like we said we keep bringing the guests big winners you know the best players on the planet and justin definitely won uh here with us today and keep tuning in man we're gonna keep bringing the goodness you know good luck guys uh week one we'll be back next week obviously with more goodness for you guys but until then Have fun, guys. Uh, Make sure you check your waiver wire dates because I know I missed a couple already. And, uh, you know, it's that time of year. All right, guys. Be safe. Be happy. And we'll check you all
3: Later.